Today on Ag News Daily. It's been a long, slow process, and you know, part of that is is uh, market development doesn't just magically happen around the world. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another Ag News Daily podcast here on Wednesday, May 20th. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton and Mike, and I'm also actually joined by one other guest today. Sitting in my offices, I am joined by Abigail, who is working at Trader PhD for the summer, but she's also a student at Kirkwood going to school for ag business. Abigail, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, your first year here in college is probably a very interesting one. Yes, it really was. It was cut off short. I was supposed to be on my internship starting March and didn't get to exactly do that as I wanted, but I enjoy being here and working with you guys. Yeah, we're very excited to have you working with us at Trader PhD for the summer. But uh, yeah, so Abigail just wanted to check out how we do the podcast, guys. So Ashton, you're still learning too. So uh, it'll be fun for you guys to maybe connect after this. But anyways, on to some news for today. Ashton, Mike, what do you guys have for us? Well, I've got a piece of news here. It kind of builds back on something we have been talking about. And it is a, kind of a two-piece story. We had a we had we had a rise in oil prices today. Good news for ethanol consumption potentially ethanol production as we continue to watch folks get back out and thrive. It was reported by EIA earlier today, the uh, Energy Something Administration, that. Uh, there were signs of improving demand, and we had a sharp drawdown in U.S. crude inventories. However, refinery margins for crude oil still remain very weak, so they don't have the incentive to get out there and start refining much more crude into gasoline. Of course, that's because we have huge stockpiles of gasoline around the country. In fact, that's the second factor that came out today. You know, we saw corn was mixed on the day, traded both sides of unchanged. And I think it's because in a large part, we had these conflicting data. One, big drawdown in crude supply. So people are getting out there and driving would be the indication. However, we also, according to the EIA, which stands for Energy Information Administration, I get there eventually, distillates, which include diesel fuel and heating oil, increased to 158.8 million barrels, the highest they've been since March of 2017. So we've got bad news on, well, predominantly the biodiesel front, as that market doesn't seem to be returning nearly as quickly as the demand for gasoline is. So that is something we'll continue to keep an eye on. Of course, it's something the market as a whole is watching as energy consumption is a base for overall consumption, how the, the health of the U.S. consumer is doing. So we'll continue to watch it. But right now, it's possibly good news for ethanol, certainly not bearish news at least, but perhaps bearish news for biodiesel, even though the soybean rally we're seeing right now is basically built on the back of soybean oil. So everything's crazy right now. Yeah, everything's crazy today, including the wheat markets. Uh, Watching those trade today, they were up 16 cents at one point on the day. I haven't checked yet where they finished on the day, but we also saw in other wheat news, they're not doing wheat tours this year, obviously, because of social distancing and whatnot. So this year, they're doing virtual wheat tours. So we saw wheat scouts zooming in on the Kansas wheat crop on Tuesday night of this first day of their virtual tour, they found highly variable crop in the northwest and north central portions 
of the state of Kansas. And so don't know if that was why wheat had such an exciting day today or if they're trading on other news, but uh, they've certainly had something to be excited about today. Yeah. And on the wheat front, I'm sure we'll dig into this in more detail on Monday with our next Market Monday uh, uh, conversation. I, I think there were a couple of factors. I think that but you just mentioned these wheat tours showing that there have been substantial damage, predominantly frost damage down in the southern plains. Uh, but, you know, despite the fact that we're hearing good yields from combines out there running, it's definitely a mixed bag. That's creating some uncertainty. We also had some technical reasons for buying. Wheat sold off. We got back down to that uh, mid-March low, bounced off of it. And that just seemed to pull the technical traders right back in, in addition to the fact that we saw the dollar today, the June contract, the U.S. dollar index, break down to 99.135. So this is the lowest we have traded since, geez, I got to go all the way back to about April 1st before we had the dollar down in this range again. So the idea of being a cheaper dollar could spur exports going forward, although we'll have to wait and see if they actually verify Absolutely, that we will. But Ashton, I know you had some news to share with our listeners today. What stories and headlines are you watching? So I've got a little bit of heartwarming news, I would say, during these troubling times. But Ivanka Trump and Secretary Sonny Perdue launched the Farmers to Families Food Box Program last Friday. And from my understanding, the Department of Agriculture will work with food distributors to deliver food to food banks and charities who will then give it to families in need. And they've already done $1.2 billion uh, allocated for the program. And it's an extension, I believe, of the the coronavirus food assistance program, and they already have 198 contracts with distribution companies in support of American farmers and families. That is a little bit of good news, uplifting news there. I believe you're right. It is part of the CFAP program, and I've got another piece of extension or an extension essentially of what we're talking about, what we talked about yesterday with CFAP, as we know. Sign up for this new program starts May 26th, and that might not be enough. We know this first round of packages is going to be about 80% of what you should be able to get up front, with 20% being held on to for a later date, just to ensure everybody gets at least 80% up front first. But Undersecretary Bill Northey told reporters that this $16 billion in the CFAP program may not be enough. <coughs> They're already hinting at appealing to Congress for additional funding. So we're going to keep an eye on that. But like I said, May 26th, that sign up begins essentially like an MFP program, just being called something a little different this year. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because I do have a clarification to what we discussed yesterday. Um, we talked about how these payments will be based on either 50% of your 2019 production or amount of grain of those three commodities that are covered in storage on January 1st. Um, the ruling has come down. It is the lesser of the two, which certainly makes sense. So if you, you know, if 50% of your production was 45,000 bushels and you've got 30,000 bushels left in storage on January 1st, you're going to get paid on those 30,000, not on the 45. So you don't get to choose. It's just whichever is the lowest. So I guess you have to prove both numbers to determine which is the lowest. That's something I saw a, a tweet by an FSA uh, agent yesterday that uh, had the scene from, oh gosh, now my brain is blanking. 
Parks and Recreation, where Ron Swanson looks at his computer, gets up, and throws it into the dumpster. And she was saying this is what every FSA office feels like right now as they're trying to get these rules sorted out. So it does sound like clarity is coming, but it has not quite arrived yet. I'm not really sure how you're going to be able to prove the amount you have in storage, because if you have on-farm storage, those bushels are protected under the CFAP program. How are you supposed to prove how many bushels you have in storage on your own farm? Are they going to have an individual inspector that comes to every single farm? Because I can, I hardly doubt that that will be the case. Well, and that's not going to work because it's bushels on the farm as of January 1st. So you right. could have 100,000 bushels on-farm storage January 1st. You could have sold it all by now. Well, you're still eligible for payment on those bushels that were there on the 1st. So yeah, that's an FSA question. I'm not entirely sure how they're going to do it, but uh, be in contact with the FSA because, as Delaney mentioned, time might be of the essence. Whether or not the allotment from Congress is enough to cover it remains to be seen. So be sure you've got your name in the hat so you can be uh, kind of first on the list and be aware of these rules as they come out. Absolutely, Mike. Well, what other headlines are you watching on the day? Well, I've got some news here. This is coming from the Good Food Institute. They are the... uh, nonprofit alternate protein advocacy group. And uh, they commented that as this coronavirus threw the meat supply chain into uh, craziness here throughout uh, the past three months, investments in alternative protein sources have increased tremendously. Uh, They reported that plant-based meat, egg, and dairy companies received around $747 million in investments in 2019, an increase uh, that grew by 11% over uh, a year ago. But 2020 is set to massively surpass that after raising almost $741 million in just the first quarter of this year. So investors you know, they saw pictures of empty meat cases and they said, gee, what can we fill those meat cases with? And they rushed to put their dollars into alternative proteins. Now, since we do have ample supply of pork and beef out in the countryside, as slaughter plants come back online and those meat cases fill with like actual meat, I'm not sure these investors are going to be pleased with the returns, but that's certainly the gamble they're taking right now. Yeah, that's strange that that's what they decided to put in those meat counters, but uh, so be it, I suppose. Um, I have uh, just one other quick follow-up here, talking about the story I shared yesterday with President Trump and his recent announcement that he would like to ban live cattle imports. Mike, I think you referenced this directly, you know, in saying, how does that work when we just signed USMCA agreement? And that is the case. A lot of people, after he announced that yesterday, are saying, hey, you can't do this. We have USMCA in place. This doesn't work. But President Trump appeared to challenge that on Tuesday with this threat to terminate the agreement that allows cattle imports into the U.S. So I I didn't see this, Delaney. He is now threatening to terminate USMCA. Well, so I, I don't know that he's threatening to terminate the entire USMCA agreement or if he's just threatening to pull this one specific piece out of the agreement. I know Ashton is working to reach out to NCBA, so I'm sure they'll have a little more clarity on that for us. All right. Well, that's not how trade agreements work. So I I don't. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Well, I guess we'll we'll wait and see. Uh, Not not a great way to build relations with our neighbors. And at the best of times, Canada and Mexico remain our largest agricultural trading partners. We export a whole lot of ag stuff to those two countries. And yeah, we get some live cattle. We certainly get some live hogs from both. They are good partners. I don't know. I I don't. 
as our listeners know, I am categorically opposed to this protectionism the president has been embarking on over the past three years. I think it's foolish, and this will be just another example of that. That being said, Delaney, we did get some halfway decent export news, and guess what, agriculture? It's working in our favor. Should we jump in and see what's happening in the markets? Let's do it. All right, folks. Well, we've got the corn market down. Despite decent export news, corn rallied up close to its technical top and then has sold off since. Looking at the July contract, we're down one and three quarters at 319 and a half. The December contract down a quarter penny at 334 even. Soybeans, however, are on the move to the upside. Interesting note, we closed above our technical ceiling today in the July contract. So something to watch could be a bullish move going forward. July up four and a quarter cents at 846 and three quarters. November new crop up three and three quarters at 855. For even wheat, as Delaney mentioned, holy cow, wheat was on fire today. Largest upward move we've seen since early April. July contract up 15 cents at 513 and three quarters. December up 12 and a quarter, closed at 522 and three quarters. Looking over at livestock, we've got, well, we had back and forth trade all day in live cattle. We continue to wait to see what happens with cash trade as it develops out in the countryside. The market is watching for information here. June was slightly lower on the day, down 37.5 cents at 98.40. The August contract down $1.45, closed at 97.62.5. Feeder cattle, ah, same story. The August contract down $2.92.5 at 129.00 even. September down $2.82.5 to finish at 130.50. Lean hogs, we've got some mixed trade today. The June contract was up 22.5 cents at 56.87.50. The July down 47.5, finished at 55.80. Quick look over at the dairy market. We continue to watch that incredible rally that has been happening. And in the deferred months, at least, the strength carries today. The May contract was down three cents at 12.24. However, the June up 37 on the day, closing at 17.65. Without further ado, Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? I'm actually going to let Ashton tell us who we're talking to for today, since she was the one that set up today's interview. So for today, we are talking to CEO of the National Sorghum Producers, and it is Tim Luss, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about sorghum and their markets. Hey guys, I'm sure you've probably heard me mention it before, but when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state of Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go, with the stories that matter most, and it's not just for Iowans. This Spokesman Speaks just wrapped up a three-part series on managing farm stress in the midst of COVID-19, featuring Dr. Larry Trannell, a pastoral psychologist and extension dairy specialist who has spent more than 30 years working with farm families. If you tune in, you're going to hear great tips that could help all of us right now, including how to identify and manage unhealthy stress in our lives, how to continue making effective business decisions and communicate well despite stress, and how to manage stress as a family. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. This 
afternoon, we have CEO of National Sorghum Producers, Tim Lust, on the podcast today to talk to us a little bit about uh, the markets for the sorghum industry. Tim, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of a background um, for you in the sorghum industry? Well, certainly. Uh, currently serve as CEO of both the National Sorghum Producers and the United Sorghum Checkoff Program, kind of both arms of our industry, and uh, have been involved in marketing and research and leadership roles here for 25 years. So uh, just excited to be with you today. Tim, I'd like to ask, we've got a lot of uh, listeners who are in the northern Corn Belt, eastern Corn Belt, places you don't see a whole lot of sorghum being grown. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with the crop, Give us the background on sorghum. Tell us a little bit about it. What's it uh, What's it used for? And primarily, where do you find it grown here in the U.S.? Certainly. Uh, while it can be grown all over the United States, certainly we consider uh, from South Dakota to South Texas kind of our core belt. Uh, Kansas is our largest production state by far. And so a crop that uh, in some ways is a substitute with corn in other ways has its own unique market opportunity. So uh, we're a commodity that uh, China found several years ago, and we certainly have enjoyed a, a large amount of exports to China over the last five years, obviously, with ups and downs based upon trade situations, but uh, moves into the human alcohol market in China, as well as into the animal sector in China. Domestically, about a third of our crop goes into ethanol production, predominantly in Kansas and the Texas panhandle, uh, with the balance of our industry moving into the animal feed industry. And then about 3% of our industry, but by far the fastest growing segment of our industry, uh, is in the human food markets. So we continue to see rapid growth uh, and sorghum into the human health uh, and food markets. Tim, I'm certainly glad that you uh, opened up the discussion there to talk about Chinese demand, because that's something we continue to watch in the headlines. Give our listeners a taste of where we're at with current, not negotiations, for lack of a better term, but uh, where we're, where we stand with China as far as sorghum exports go. Well, certainly uh, under phase one, uh, the tariffs have came down and we have opened back up to what you know was a traditional market for us. Of course, we were one of the first commodities to be shut off uh, on the front end of that. So, uh, you know, we're now into uh, really about three months now of very strong sales. Uh, we have frankly uh, shipped most of our old crop supplies out uh, or we'll be finishing those shipments here in the next few weeks and uh, really now starting to look to new crop uh, in terms of that situation. So uh, while there's still a lot of challenges uh, around the country, certainly from a sorghum industry standpoint, uh, continue to see strong sales to China, but are also excited to see opportunities into other countries like Vietnam as well. I have seen a lot of headlines recently about pushing sorghum into Vietnam markets. And so what was the process like um, for you guys? I understand that it took maybe a few years to kind of get your foot in the door over there. So why don't you take us through that process and what that looked like? Certainly. Uh, and it has. It's been a long, slow process. And, you know, part of that is is uh, market development doesn't just magically happen around the world. And so, you know, we really started investing as an industry five years ago. Obviously, we work closely with our partner organization, the U.S. Grains Council, that does all of our international market development, uh, as well as uh, the United Sorghum Checkoff Program. And so, Started projects five years ago, really working uh, in Vietnam, working to start getting, um, you know, 
A, the documentation that we would have to have to move into the country, B, uh, end users aware of our product and aware of what opportunities there were there to where when the opportunity came for the market to open up, we would also have customers that knew what sorghum was. So, um, you know, really been working over the last several years with the aquaculture industry in Vietnam and excited particularly about catfish. Uh, Vietnam has a very large catfish industry and uh, sorghum has some unique uh, attributes and fits into the cat food, uh, into the aquaculture industry. So we're excited about that opportunity. And of course, um, you know, a simple regulatory process, it seems like it's simple. Um, often it's not. And so this is one, I think we've had good collaboration with all of the different segments I talked about, as well as some of our state organizations, uh, Nebraska Sorghum, as well as the governor's office there last year did some items. Um, you know, one of the other emphasis that really put uh, a light on this is, is when we had a lot of boats declined from China a couple of years ago, one of those boats tried to go to Vietnam and, and we couldn't go there with that boat because we didn't have all the paperwork done and all the documentation that had to be done. So it's been a long time in coming, but excited to be here today where we have that approval process in place. And now we can really start looking and moving into that market and uh, starting to move product this fall. Tim, as you're looking out to the future, when you get the opportunity to move into a brand new market like this for American Sorghum, what sort of demand are you figuring on for the next couple of years? As catfish fruit growers get familiar with American Sorghum, how many tons do you anticipate we're going to end up actually shipping over to there? You know, I think that's a challenging question in a year that's not 2020. Uh, it's a particularly challenging question in 2020. Um, you know, we had large scale plans of a lot more uh, trade missions, a lot more trials and projects and, and a whole strategy laid out of how we were really going to attack this that simply can't be carried out right now. So we have to be a little bit realistic in the short run. By the same token, uh, when we look at the size and scope of that market and we look at how we fit, um, you know, we do believe that within a few years, this can be a time top five market for U.S. sorghum. And so we're excited about the opportunities that are there. Uh, you know, just have to kind of play it day by day and month by month in terms of just exactly how fast we can get in and what that growth uh, trend will look like. But we are confident uh, that it, it, it is going to happen short term and that it, the long term potential is, is very significant. Tim, I want to bring things back domestically here because you mentioned earlier in the podcast that sorghum is also used as a in production of ethanol. And I, actually, I was surprised to learn that because we focus so often on corn usage for ethanol. Is sorghum used in the same way that corn is to produce ethanol or is it done in a different manner? Absolutely the same. And in many of our Kansas plants, uh, you know, they run on a mixture of both at the same time. And so it's very, very normal and traditional for our Kansas plants to uh, be running a certain percentage sorghum and a certain percentage corn uh, based upon local availability and and, uh, you know, what the what the price ratios are there. So certainly something that uh, we're very accustomed to. Sorghum has a slightly higher protein content. And so the distiller's grain with a lot of sorghum in them will have a slightly higher protein content. Uh, but uh 
very normal for our ethanol plants in those areas where sorghum is grown to to look at both corn and sorghum in their mixtures. And as you look at current events, ethanol facilities all across the nation have been shut down and or idled. How is that affecting the sorghum producers? Are you able to find, I mean, it sounds like Vietnam is an opening market, but is sor- are sorghum producers able to find domestic outlets for their product? So certainly most all of our ethanol plants in the sorghum belt are still running, which is a little bit different uh, than in some segments of the country. Uh, but our Kansas plants in particular have, have remained very strong and running in terms of that. But uh, also, you know, they had an opportunity this spring to sell a lot of their sorghum back to the market uh, and replace those bushels with corn as the price of sorghum went above corn. Uh, in the export market. And so certainly our plants will continue to utilize sorghum. Uh, they work very closely at the grower level. A number of them uh, buy directly from the grower at harvest or have arrangements with their local cooperatives uh, to supply those needs. But uh, they continue to you know, also look at it from a business standpoint. And so um, They are very significant for our farmers in the fact that they are that stable local basis, uh, stable local buyer that's there. And then if, uh, you know, someone else around the world wants it and is willing to pay that extra, well, then it will move at that point in time. But uh, we, we rely heavily on our domestic ethanol industry and we appreciate their strong support. Absolutely. And Tim, you mentioned they're the business decisions that go into, well, production of everything in agriculture. As you look out or as you talk to producers across particularly the the southern plains up through Nebraska and South Dakota, as they are figuring their balance sheets for this upcoming year, perhaps 2021 already, are you hearing more folks shifting to sorghum, at least a portion of their grain acres into sorghum to capitalize on some reduce costs, perhaps, you know, keep the irrigators off a a little extra turns. Uh, What are your thoughts here on acreage over the next couple of years? Certainly, uh, we are seeing a a significant increase in acres this year in 2020, the crop that's going in the ground right now. And, uh, you know, frankly, that increase is over a very large geographic area. And so, um, you know, we, we continue to see that strong shift this year. You know, I think from a supply and demand standpoint, uh, you know, we're one of the few commodities that has a a really short and tight supply and demand balance sheet right now. And uh, so certainly we're entering into this crop year uh, in very good shape. Uh, We're very current. And so that's allowed some opportunity to add some acres. The other side of that is, is, you know, this is really just getting our industry back to an acreage level where it was about three or four years ago. We had a uh, unfortunate timing with the challenges with China market at the same time that we had a new insect come into our industry. And so that certainly took some acres away from us for a few years, but we're seeing those acres come back now. And so uh, we do expect to see a significant increase in sorghum acres this year. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time out today to talk to us about sorghum. And we um, look forward to seeing what the industry has for us within the next couple of years. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be with your listeners today.
Thank you again to Tim Lust for talking to us today about sorghum. And we're super excited to see what that industry has in the next few years. And for more Ag News Daily News, I have been taking over their socials. And so if you want to see kind of the work I've been doing, you can hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.